She told me recently that she didn't like my hands because they're too too big. Now, why am I limiting myself to people who are dead? Abraham Lincoln isn't leaning against your kitchen knife. <laughs> he should mince my garlic. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the official Dream Dinner Party podcast. I'm your host, Ross Bullen. And I'm your other host, Gary Allmeter. As always, this week, we'll be asking our guests to uh, list the three people, living or dead, with whom they'd like to have dinner. And then we'll be analyzing those choices in agonizing detail. This week, our inaugural guest is Devorah Blacker. Devorah is, at this point, an omnipresent presence on the panoply of humor and satire and uh, current events websites. I think most um, most notably, or and how we know each other, Devorah is McSweeney's. And every time I see, you know, when I refresh the McSweeney's or, you know, I'm on my, you know, my daily journey and I see a Devorah Blacker piece, I know it's going to be simultaneously funny, maybe a little sad, extremely well-researched, uh, thought-provoking, uh, funny again in a different kind of way, and um, always interesting. So she's also the author of The Feminist Guide to Raising a Little Princess, How to Raise a Girl Who's Authentic, Joyful, and Fearless, Even If She Refuses to Wear Anything But a Pink Tutu. And I read this, and I have a son who loathes reading and loves baseball, and it was very helpful in that regard, too. But why don't I stop talking and uh, let Devorah say hello. Hi, Devorah. Hello. Hi, <laughs> Ross and Gary. You know, my kids come home every day and I say hello. And they don't, they don't, they never watch Seinfeld. So they don't laugh. <laughs> no. But that's how I greet them every day, each and every yeah. day. I have a son named Leo. So I always give him the big Uncle Leo hello every time. <laughs> I, uh, yes, I, I, you that's know, it. That's, that's right. The that, Uncle that's Leo the hello. That's it. And I have a two-year-old daughter, so I have to consult your book for information there. She, she told me recently that she didn't like my hands because they're too, <laughs> too big, which is just a consequence of being, you know, 43 instead of two. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, unsolicited, unsolicited advice over dinner. It's good. It's so. a good critique. It's yeah, no, I mean, I've been working on it. I can't seem to improve things uh, for myself and my hands. And listener, we're, we're recording this over Zoom, and I can assure you, Ross has enormous hands. Like, oh, that is oh it's not gosh. an effect of the camera at all. It is three yeah. times the size of my head. It's uh, Yeah, I, I had to adjust my screen resolution just to, like, you know, get them in the picture. Honestly, it was this podcast <laughs> or playing power forward for the Raptors. And I, I, I think I made the right choice, but you never know. It, it could go. It, there's still time. There's still time to change. So instead of me mansplaining Devorah, Devorah, why don't you, why don't you Devorah explain to everyone who you are, what you're doing here, your whole gestalt. I'm a writer. I write a lot of satire and humor. Uh, I wrote the book you mentioned. Um, I'm working on a new book um, and a novel as well. And tell, tell, uh, say, say more about those. You don't, I mean, to continue the Seinfeld, you don't get to yada, yada, yada. <laughs> I'm writing a novel. <laughs> you don't? I think that's. You don't. No. Um, the novel is called The Plot to Abolish Marriage. And um, it's a contemporary comic novel. And it's a lot of it is based on the research of the nonfiction book that I, I've been working on for a few years about the endurance of wife culture. And, uh, and I've written some op-eds and things around that subject as well. The subject interested me because people 
talk endlessly about the unpaid labor of women. And, and I think that the origins of that are in the, the marital structure. It's, it's not an original thought. Uh, the radical feminists came up with it and, and feminists before them as well. But it's something I'm interested in and, and uh, I've been researching and writing about. Uh, I am married. I have two kids. They are 14 and 10. The 10 year old used to be the princess obsessed toddler that I wrote about in my, in my first book. And, um, and contrary to popular belief, I do not live in the UK. I thought I would reveal that to you on this podcast because you both assumed when I told you my time zone that I lived in the UK. I live in Luxembourg. You can see it's very... Oh. Just, just looks like farmland, really, behind me. It does. Me. Wow. <laughs> and um, it's the same time zone as the UK, but uh, yeah, that's going to come up. That's going to come up in my um, in my dinner guest choices. <gasps> as well. Ooh, is that all of Luxembourg outside your window? I, I understand it's a very small Pretty country, much. so that's yeah. the, that's the that's the gist. Of a it. good portion of it, yeah. Okay, perfect. I'm an attorney, as I like to remind people. And a long time ago, we had a defendant who was based in Luxembourg. And in order to send that defendant all our documents, we had to translate them into German, French, and something else. And Luxembourgish. I mean, Luxembourg, something else. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Luxembourg. Um, and it was very interesting. They have three, I was tasked with researching, not, not the translation, but just you know the process by which we had to do it. And they have three official languages and any official document has to be in all three. Yeah, I was surprised when I, I when we moved here and English is, is not spoken commonly at all. And uh, the most common language to hear here is, is French, despite it being Luxembourg. Do you speak but French? I have had to learn French since moving here. Yeah. yeah, you can't get around without French. I'm a Canadian who's lived in Canada my whole life, and I can read the other side of a cereal box in French, but not speak a word of it, uh, as is unfortunately the case for 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 those many of us in Ontario, but uh, but not Quebec. I find that Canadians lie about that, and they're actually much more fluent than they let on. It's true. I could probably read a little bit if I had to. Better, better than I'd have more luck than with the Luxembourgish, perhaps. That would be my. <laughs> it would be my go-to if I had to. If I had to make a choice. Those books sound fascinating. I like the the, the novel titles. Great. It sounds like a, a Philip Roth title or something. It's uh, it's fantastic. That's cool. Thanks. Hope I'm hoping it will find a publisher. And where are you from originally? There's a little bit of a um, an accent. I'm going to say Brooklyn or something. Like, where are you from originally? I grew up on Long Island. That's correct. And um, I probably still pronounce a few words. My family is always jumping in if I ask for a glass of water or something like that. You know, I grew up on Long Island. I, I have not lived in New York or in the United States since I was 21. I lived in Israel for many years. Now we're in Luxembourg. Um, so yeah, it's remarkable to me because I feel so American, but I haven't lived there for decades many decades <laughs> okay yeah. oh wow but you still i mean it's so clear you have like such a sense of what's happening here you still have a sense of the cadence and you know i mean anybody just go to mcsweeney's.net or mcsweeney's internet tendency.net and and type in b-l-a-c-h-o-r and it's just astonishing how like how well you know us you know and well you know i i definitely you know, I, 
I did not follow American politics or culture. Well, that's not true. Everyone in the world follows American culture, but I didn't really follow the politics. I dropped out for many years. I wasn't paying attention. And I think like a lot of people and like a lot of expats, I really uh, started paying attention in about 2015 um, because for the same reason, a lot of Americans woke up uh, because I, I just couldn't believe what was happening. I couldn't believe, even before the election, I couldn't believe the polls were so close. Even that just blew my mind. Uh, and I know that's pretty ignorant and it, 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 it exposes that I hadn't been paying attention. You know, like what the Iraq war could only happen with a very strong conservative um, and irrational conservative population in the first place. But yeah, something about 2015 really just uh, woke me up and made me think, oh my God, the country I grew up in is so messed up and it impacts the world so profoundly. And, um, and then of course, Trump won and I was devastated. And I just got really involved in American politics. And I think when I was younger, it depressed me to be so uh, tuned into the news and I recognized that about myself. So I, I took a few steps back and I tried to be, I tried to live like alongside world events without try, without absorbing them because it was, I couldn't uh, process them without becoming depressed. And I'm older and wiser and, um, that is not a judgment on anybody who suffers from depression, obviously, but I'm able to, I'm able to follow what's going on without it impacting me, usually without impacting my mental health. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so I became more aware and I became more active and I, you know, I phone bank and I text bank before elections and I try to challenge people who are not going to vote, who are going to vote for Republicans and try to see if I can find common ground <laughs> once in a blue moon. I'm just saying yeah. that that's why I, I just started to pay attention more. And I was outraged. <laughs> your, your, your satires of American politics are so much more successful than my satires of Luxembourgish <laughs> politics, which are just, you know, they don't hit. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. McSweeney's well, but, yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of these European countries, there's not, a lot to target there is there is sure, like, you know yeah. it's not perfect here but you know you don't have this crazy backlash movement trying to take away women's rights trying to take away gay rights you know it depends where of course uh and some countries in eastern europe are different than western europe um in terms of of uh women's rights and gay rights but there wouldn't be much to focus on no <laughs> No, I mean, there are elements of it. I mean, in Canada, there's, you know, those, 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 those people too, who want who look at all the, the somewhat, you know, negative aspects of American politics and say, hey, we could have that too, actually, you know, but, uh, but I don't think they get quite as much traction, at least not yet, hopefully. But we should probably start talking about dinner, perhaps is it time to think about? Yeah, I'm getting uh, hungry. The dinner, like the dinner party conundrum. It's closer to dinner here, guys. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is a we could we could switch to this this question never gets asked about breakfast and to me that's kind of interesting you know like dinner's kind of a high pressure meal i think if it, if that if this question you know on college applications or, or job interviews was like who would you have brunch with it gets a lot more casual very quickly or you know yeah that's really snack in the park you know yeah um, absolutely dinner is open ended it could take many hours you're never going to sit around for hours and hours drinking booze well I guess some people could at a brunch, it could happen, but 
usually it's conceivable. As a general yeah. Rule. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's all part of why this is the, the high pressure, the, 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 you know, uh, pressure cooker situation of, of the dinner party is we have to, you're locked in for like what, four hours at least or something waiting yes. for dinner. And, if it's and a the, successful dinner party, then yes. Yeah. And it's a great concept. I'm so glad you guys are doing it. I'm really honored. You asked me to be your first guest. That really made me feel great. We're honored you're here, so. But like my one critique, and of course I'm not gonna break convention, is that when people do this, they're always like, who are your three guests? Who has a dinner party with three guests? Nobody. That's a true point. It has to be, usually it's at least six, right? Otherwise the conversation doesn't flow and then, you know, just, I understand why, but. Maybe because, you know, we need, we need an odd number for a tie break, you know, if someone's like, hey, should we have dessert? <laughs> I mean, you can't have an even number. <laughs> it's true. It's like dinner with, with you plus three people is just dinner with another couple or whatever, if you're in a real, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if, yeah, it's, it's, you need numbers. We could blame inflation. Who can afford dinner for more than yeah. three people these that's days? Uh, that, that, that's always an option. But also, also, I think, I mean, again, you're in charge here, divorce. So if you want to make Laverne and Shirley one person or Lewis and Clark, <laughs> one person or the captain and Tennille, one person, like you're, you're in charge. So. Wow. That opens up the possibilities. Okay. I wish I'd known that going in, but okay. Should we, should we postpone? <laughs> no, no, I can, I can think on the fly. Tell us about your, your journey with this, with this concept. Like, did you, yeah. was it a college, college application essay? Was it a, um, you know, icebreaker, you know, you read, Every once in a while, you'll read it in, um, you know, New York Times book review or whatever. It was definitely a journey. That's a really good word. Because, you know, first of all, I listened to your excellent first episode where you guys were talking about your ideal guests. And I think one of you was saying, oh, we hope that our guest might have somebody like Amelia Earhart or somebody who presents a historical mystery that we could solve. I thought that was a really excellent idea really wonderful, but I'm not going to do that because I'm cooking. I'm making the food. It's a lot of labor. And uh, that just, why do you have to cook? I mean, it's, it's, why do you have to cook? Oh, I didn't, I couldn't even conceive of a dinner party where I wasn't cooking. Uh, oh. That was out of the realm of my imagination. I couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah. I think you usually, when you host, if you, well, okay. So the question, I guess it's the dream dinner party podcast. So if there's a dinner party at your house, usually you cook, I think, unless you, you have, uh, you know, servants or something, in which case uh, you've got, you've got a whole different set of problems than I do. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I guess you could cater. You could order Thai food or something can and see you, what happens. Can you? Yeah. I don't know. That seems like not a dinner party. I think party, that exactly. alters the, the energy. I, yeah. But yeah, I, you know, look, I should keep that as an option. I grew up in a very specific kind of Jewish environment. We cooked, if we hosted, we cooked and we cooked a lot of food. Um, and I've had to tone down, I've had to really scale back on amounts in my adulthood so I don't overwhelm people with amounts. Your vision of this party includes the three people like leaning against your kitchen island, like, you know, like, hey, hey, hit. Hand me the hand me the um, the mincer or hey, would you mind slicing these tomatoes? Like this oh, is no. all part of no. it. No, no, okay. No, no, everything is prepared with when the guests. Okay. Come on, I'm gonna make them cook. That's terrible. Abraham Lincoln isn't leaning against your kitchen island. <laughs> I, he should mince my garlic. That's terrible. Just, okay. He's too tall. You can't ask someone that tall to lean over a kitchen island. That's he, not fair. He has a glass of sparkling wine. 
Um, and because I live in Luxembourg, uh, champagne is a lot cheaper here. Ooh. And so maybe champagne even. And he's not asked to cut vegetables. No. Okay. All right. I think that would be wrong, but I respect if, if that's what people do, it's okay. I could not, I would be filled with guilt if I did that to my guests. No, everything would be ready or almost ready if they were like last minute things. And if there were last minute things, then everybody would have a drink and some cheese while I did that in the kitchen. And okay. I would tell them, no, 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 I don't need help. You go and have the wine and the cheese. I, I like the sound of your dinner party much better than Gary's where he's got me doing all the work, <laughs> peeling garlic, shredding pecorino or whatever. Right. Like Whereas ripping feathers house, off the chickens. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm like, having, yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm having canapes and, and sparkling wine. At yeah. Dora's where where Gary's got me peeling potatoes and all this. Yeah, that's a much I'm coming to your spoiled. Yeah. But you're not worried about Coco Chanel and Amelia Earhart like talking about you while you while they're outside eating cheese and you're in the kitchen. I mean that's a really good question. And you definitely, when you you know, when you're imagining these three people, you have to imagine them getting along, having what to talk about with each other when you're not there. That was definitely part of my criteria. They have to hit it off. You know, so there were a lot of people that I thought about, like, I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have like Emma Goldman and, you know, Rosa Luxemburg. Um, I had all these like, you know, dream people. And then I just thought, you know, are they really gonna, I, those two specifically would probably have a lot to talk about, but, but just in general, I just don't know if they would be really cool and fascinating, but I don't know if they would keep the conversation going with the other guests because they're, you know. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. I think I know the answer to this question already based on your, the altruistic approach you've taken here. But <laughs> you asked John, John Lennon, Pablo Picasso to join you. Hey, John Lennon, get over here and let's sing a song I wrote. And, or hey, Pablo Picasso, here's, you know, some paintbrushes, just, you know, help me out here. So then they leave or, you know, evaporate. And then you're left with a John Lennon recording or a Pablo Picasso paint. Like, did that factor into your decision at all? Or are you just 100% altruistic? No, no, not altruistic at all. Because one thing that I really thought about is who could entertain me? And who could have good stories that I would enjoy? And who would be fascinating for me? I don't think that's altruism at all. Um, no, divorce. No. <laughs> but, but it's also not trying to... to, to, to scam intellectual property yeah. out of people which is uh i i think yeah one of one of it's a go-to gary and i both had that thought quite a bit we're both looking to make a buck off this thing seemingly so it's not altruistic but it doesn't rise to the level of parasitism perhaps which not is, yeah, yeah, yes yeah. yes so well done vip devore oh thanks all right i can't I, Russ, I don't know i can't take it anymore like i, I need suspense. to know I need okay to know. okay so yeah so i was thinking like i had all these people and Mar martha gellhorn who is an amazing reporter who also was married to Hemingway. So she could dish a lot of gossip. But then I started to think, you know, why am I limiting myself to people who are dead? And why not really make a dinner party that could actually happen in real life? And I know it's unlikely. I know it's unlikely that this could actually happen, but still it's a possibility. If I choose living people, it could happen. It could happen. I could put it out into the universe, you know, uh, my wish my posted on my wish board or whatever they call it, you know, stranger things that could happen. So I decided I'm going to stick with living people. And the wow. first person I would like to invite is Jane Fonda. To my oh, wow. Yeah. 
Oh, I... <laughs> tell us why. Jane Fonda is a fascinating person. Um, she She's an icon, she's an activist. She was a exercise guru in the eighties. People forget that. She was in one of the greatest feminist films of all time, Nine to Five with Dolly Parton and Lily Tomlin. She's a really interesting person in her own right. She comes from a fascinating family. Um, and also I would like to speak to her and I actually also, I would like to apologize to her um, because when I was much, much younger in a different life, I was a journalist and I covered something that involved her and it didn't go very well. And I feel badly about it. So I'd also like to apologize to Jane Fonda for what happened. Um, Cause when I was in the 19, no, in 2002, I was um, the Jerusalem correspondent for the New York Daily News. And um, Jane Fonda came with Eve Ensler as part of V-Day, which is an organization that combats gendered violence. And she came and she visited people who had been injured in suicide bombings. And then um, she also met with peace activists and went to a Palestinian refugee camp. So this was all fine. You know, I just covered it all. But my editor at the New York Daily News, because some people had protested her because she met with the peace activists, you know, some right wingers, there's always people protesting. My editor at the New York Daily News headlined my piece and he called her Haifa Jane. And he was invoking, do you remember people called her Hanoi Jane? Yeah, yeah. Because she sat, yes, because she sat, there was a photo of her for, the, for our younger viewers. Jane Fonda protested the Vietnam War heroically, um, but she was also photographed on an anti-aircraft, uh, right? Yeah, that's right, the big, the big, the big gun, gun, yeah. Right, and so of course, like she got, you know, slammed for it as a traitor and they called her Hanoi Jane. And it was very typical right-wing smear campaign that, you know, they were able to really take this one moment and make it define her when of course, like her anti-war activism was like correct and moral. And, mm -hmm. you know, time has totally vindicated that, that anti-war stance. Mm -hmm. Very few people would say that that war was a good idea today, right? Yeah. But of course, they were able to just, you know, paint her as this traitor, Hannah Jane. So my editor called her Haifa Jane, which didn't make oh, any no. sense. Makes no. no sense. Haifa is just this city in northern Israel. It has nothing to do with anything. I was going to say, I didn't see the connection. I'm like, Haifa is a city in Israel, but I don't yes. see what that has to do with. No, it yeah. doesn't. He just picked a random city that started with H. Right. And um, and tried to make it like, oh, she was a traitor for going to to a Palestinian refugee camp. I mean, it was so stupid Lord. and I felt terrible. And like in those days, things would be written under my byline that I didn't agree with. And I was too young and inexperienced to push back. And I thought, you know, I, I thought they just would get another freelancer to do the job if I ever said anything, which they probably would have, but still, I'm still embarrassed to this day. I could not find the listing online. Thank God it doesn't exist anymore. I'm sure Jane Fonda never saw it. Um, but still, I would like to apologize because that's not okay what happened, you know? And then, you know, once we got out of the way, we could chat. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a good icebreaker, even if it is like an apology, it's still, it's something to talk about. Right. And I mean, that's a, that's, that's the exactly. biggest step, right? That's inter it's so interesting to me. And I'll say, this is 
one of the good one of the I mean, we're all uh, occasional McSweeney's writers. You get to pick your own headline. I'll say that because it can be the, <laughs> the stupidest thing you can think of. Uh, Chris Monks might change a word, but otherwise you're you're pretty much locked in. But that's a big problem. You see this all the time that, you know, um, I, I just saw an example the other day on Twitter somewhere. I can't remember what it was specifically, but clearly the the editor or the social media person chose the title that was going to engage the rage clicks and the, yeah. the, the whereas the actual article argued the exact opposite of what the title implied it was actually you know it made it look like the author was you know advancing the the thesis of the book rather than criticizing it and yeah of course it blew up in in in, in his face and it was a it was a whole thing um, yeah so that's a clickbait headlines are a yeah. scourge of our time and very unfortunate for writers yeah. who spend time and energy reporting and writing and then it all just gets ruined with a stupid headline. It's kind of the opposite problem of the people who like post a, like an onion story and believe it's a real news story. Like, can you believe <laughs> it? They're, they're finally, you know, whatever. Uh, and that, 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 uh, that's a funnier, but kind of the opposite problem. <laughs> On a pie chart, Devorah, like yeah. dividing, dividing those topics, how would you like to see your conversation divided? Like would 75% be scoop about Henry and his friends? Or, you know, or would, would it be like 50-50 or would it be like 10%, you know, for all the, like marriage to Ted Turner, life in Atlanta, life in Montana, ex like tell us about, I mean, if you could guide the conversation, how would that get divvied up? Yeah, I would love to hear about her activism. That would be at least 50% of what I would ask her. But of course, she is welcome to talk about what she wants. She's the guest in my house. But if I could wish... Um, yeah, I want to. I want to hear about her movie career. I, I want to hear some good gossip. I definitely want to hear about Henry um, and her family and what 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 that was like. Um, I don't know if I care. I don't know if I care about her marriage to Ted Turner. Meh, yeah. you know, yeah. not so interesting to me. Like what? One like what's one question you would ask? Dolly Parton. Oh, okay. Sorry, <laughs> oh, yeah. sorry, Devorah. <laughs> I didn't know if that was assumed or not, but yeah, all right. <laughs> I feel very strongly about this. Okay. I would love to know about Lily Tomlin. She's amazing. She's totally a potential dinner guest too. If you're telling me I can merge guests, you know, obviously that would be awesome if she came yeah. along. Yeah, I wonder if the cast of Nine to Five could be one guest. <gasps> oh my god! Well, now hold on. Oh now, my now, gosh! Is, you can't. I mean, how? Where's the limit there? Like, I'm going to include the. All, all 500, you know, Napoleonic soldiers in Barry Lyndon or something. No, it's, there's, yeah. a, there's a limit here. So you can't dine with the USC marching band? I don't, I don't think so. No, okay, every, every, right. I want, all, I tried Devorah. I tried all I tried. 85 Ewoks Good. at my table. Uh, Cause they're one, cause they're one person, you know, I don't know. Come on. Let's, let's. We have Jane Fonda. Yeah. Is she the first one to ring the bell? Did yeah, you... Jane, came, Jane comes first. And okay. so we get to have a little intimate girl talk. Uh, and I get to apologize. I don't want to do that in public. Right. Makes Nobody sense. needs to hear it. And then the doorbell rings. I go and open the door. And it is the prime minister of Luxembourg, Xavier Battelle. Yeah, you didn't see it coming. Oh, I, no, no. No, because no. you didn't even know I lived in Luxembourg. You thought I was celebrating the Queen's uh, Jubilee, was it? <laughs> I believe whatever 70 is. Yeah. yeah. As a member of the Commonwealth, I will tell you it is the Platinum Jubilee or the, the Platinum Jubilee. The yes, Platinum yes. Jubilee. But yeah, that is no, literally all I know I, about it. Yeah. I was uh, here on the continent and I didn't pay much attention. 
because I don't live there. I live in Luxembourg and we have a prime minister here. I don't know if you know, he's an openly gay prime minister married to his partner. He's young, he's dynamic. He's been the prime minister since 2013. I think he's like the third openly gay leader of Europe, um, but definitely the longest serving. He's a very interesting person, but I don't know so much about him. He's very private. He, like if you dig, there's not much there. So I wanna ask him a million questions. I wanna ask him how it was to grow up gay in Luxembourg. I wanna ask him the experience of being a gay prime minister and meeting with like leaders of Hungary and Poland who like, you know, are yeah. like openly homophobic. And I just, I think he should be more talked about in the world. You know, I think people should know about him. I think people should know about his, he's married to this real hottie called um, Gautier Destiny. <laughs> okay, that name alone, I'm already <laughs> picturing this guy and, and yeah. it's, it's, it's a sight, that, that, that's, a, that's a name, oh my God. Does the does his husband are they married? Like are they? They're married. They okay. they're married. They got married a year after it became legal. I think it was like in 2015. And he's so cute. And and Xavier, like what a name! It begins with an X. His name begins with how many people do we know? His name is Xavier, and I've heard it pronounced with a K, like a Xavier. I don't even know how to pronounce his name properly. And that is one reason he should be a guest at my table. That so makes sense. Correct yeah. me on the proper pronunciation of Xavier. Um, he's just a cool person. I think more people should be talking about this really yeah. cool prime minister of Luxembourg. Yeah. I feel like there's this sort of, this sort of a thing in Europe now. There are lots of these younger presidents, prime ministers, what have you, like in their 30s even or, or, or 40s. Which, uh, which is kind of cool. And a lot of them seem to be, yeah, kind of, you know, younger and, and, and some of them have, yeah, same-sex relationships or marriage. It's definitely right. a, something you can't, speaking of American politics, like earlier, it's hard to imagine so going young. Like you, apparently we can't go younger than Joe Biden, apparently, yeah. which is, which is uh, <laughs> a, a, a tall bar. And, and you know, he's, uh, he's, he's, yeah. he's not and exactly really cutting edge. You know, I think we're, I don't know about you, Ross. I know, I think me and Gary are more or less the same age. And it's just still an amazing thing to me that here we are in uh, 2022 and LGBTQ culture has come all this way so that we can have openly gay leaders in Europe. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It makes me so happy. Um, but yet that there's, there's still this backlash against it. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I just want to talk to him. I want yeah. to talk to him. His husband, pose in this famous photo that went viral a few years ago because it, it was like the NATO summit. So he posed Gautier Destiny posed with all the wives of all the other leaders. Now, of course, I just said it's 2022. All the other spouses were women, right? So we mm. haven't come that far, have we? No. And uh, so there's this great photo and it's Melania Trump and uh, Bridget Macron and, and all these, all these women. And and Gautier standing there smiling in the back. And the photo went viral because it was so uh, striking and everybody fell in love with him. Um, and yeah, I wanna ask Xavier what that's like for him. What is that like for Gautier? Um, they're it's just- interesting. I mean, if there, if, because if there were more summits with vice presidents and deputy prime ministers, I, I suppose we'd be having this effect with 
with Kamala Harris's husband, whose name I, I don't even know, I'm afraid, uh, but I'm not American, <laughs> so I don't have to, because uh, that would be the same sort of thing, you know, like the, 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 the one, the one sort of male representative in that group, but, uh, right. but nobody has vice presidential, as the show Veep taught us, that doesn't really happen. You don't have vice presidential or, or deputy <laughs> prime ministerial summits, but uh, no, that's, that, that's interesting. I know Ireland, uh, he's not the, the, well, that's not prime minister, it's Taoiseach, I, I, I guess. Um, the previous one was, was also, uh, was also gay and um, of like partially like South Asian descent as well, which was made him a, you know, obviously an outlier in like that, that political history for sure. Right. But, uh, but yeah, it was, was pretty well accepted and, and popular. Um, yeah. I mean, I think he was actually kind of a conservative, but, but nevertheless, I mean, on those other fronts, he was, he was certainly, you know, kind of groundbreaking. So yeah, yeah it seems like a real thing in Europe, like, um, or I mean, you know, obviously like nobody, nobody could have more um, sort of positive feelings for them these days than uh, Zelensky, right. In Ukraine, who's also relatively young and, and came to, came to leadership through comedy really, which is sort of a, a weird thing to think about. Right. But, uh, and in a, yeah. a historically very anti-Semitic country. Yeah. Um, and he's Jewish. You know, things really change. Things have really changed. And in many ways for the better. Yeah. Um, and uh, you and see this a little bit with um, Pete Buttigieg, our secretary of transportation. Yeah. And his husband, Chastin, I believe. And, yes. you know, you just like you say, it's 2022 and it's with all of a sudden it's here's a member of the cabinet and you know he's openly gay not only that but his rise was you know last thing he did was the mayor of south bend indiana so when you ask you that question you know in 2020 are these really the best two people we have and even though the answer is a resounding no i mean those are the people we stuck with but then well, who are the best people we have? And it's like, well, here's a guy from South Bend, Indiana, who's smart, happens to be gay, you know, eloquent. Yeah, brilliant um, communicator. Personable, mm. you know, it's just has it, has the it, you know, but so it's it'll be interesting to, to follow him. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you have to pick one politician to come to your dinner, you, you, you seem to have chosen wisely. I'm trying to think who I, I can think of lots who I would avoid having dinner with. And I'm trying to decide if I want, I'm, I'm Canadian, as I mentioned, if I want Justin Trudeau to come to dinner, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I, he's been prime minister for so long. I feel like I already know what he's got up his sleeve and, and, you know, it's, it, it would be okay. But I, I feel like, I feel like your choice is better. I hope it's a risk. He could be dull as dishwater. I don't know. Yeah. I need to improve my French. This this seems likely. Uh, not for not for Trudeau, but for 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 Xavier. 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 I got it. Yeah. Xavier. I, I, I've got to I've got to I've got to work on that part of my my palate to get that sound out of my. I can't do yeah. it. Yeah. I so can't we have do it. we have monosyllabic Jane, polysyllabic and and very sophisticated Xavier. And they would hit it off for sure. They so would. I have, have full confidence when I'm in the kitchen doing my thing, they're, they're just going to be hitting it off. And then for my third guest, I, I broke my rule about having the living guests because I had to be honest about what was in my heart. And the first person that I thought of, and really the most important person to have at a dinner party for a certain kind of woman like me is Carrie Fisher, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. 
I can't not invite Carrie Fisher to this dinner, even though she she's no longer alive. She must have known Jane Fonda. I, I guess they must have crossed paths at some point. For sure. They would have yeah. so much to talk about. Yeah. Um, and she is just an amazing person. She was so funny and such an amazing writer. Like she was a icon for her role in Star Wars, of course. And that is the least interesting thing about her because um, she, she's, in my 20s, I read three books, three novels by her. So it was Postcards from the Edge, Surrender the Pink, and Delusions of Grandma. I was in my 20s. I don't know what would happen if I reread these books now and how I would, you know, how I would um, critique them now. But, you know, when you're a certain age and you fall in love with books, that person is just in your heart forever. And that's how I feel about Carrie Fisher. I love those books. Her voice was amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, she had so much insight and um, intelligence, like in every sentence. Were those like novels, Devor, or were those like... Autobiographical novels. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw the movie. <laughs> I saw the movie Postcards from the Edge, and it was it was clear that there was this autobiographical component to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is also, I mean, she did that, I think, before, I mean, we'll call it, making yourself vulnerable you know she was just you know here's me you know before it was cool before celebrity meant knowing i mean to your xavier point like knowing everything about somebody and knowing nothing about them you know yes Mm -hmm. um so she did that before it was you know the thing to do she was so open about her mental health struggles Um, And that meant so much to people because yes, she was doing it before it became, I don't want to say became fashionable because that's kind of diminishes honesty about mental health struggles, but, but she was doing it. She was doing it earlier. Before Um, it was broadly accepted and and not sort of stigmatized. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and so, right. So she's this iconic actress, but she was also so honest, amazing writer. Her, her gossip ability to gossip is just, you know, there's nobody who could do it like Carrie Fisher with her background and her family's background. If you haven't seen her special, what is it called again? Wishful drinking. Yeah. Uh, stream yeah. it. She goes over, you know, like her Hollywood background, her parents, the, the affairs, you know, her, like her pedigree for want of a better word is just fascinating. And, uh, and she can really dish, you know, she talks about Paul Simon and that, and that special, she had a relationship with him. I would invite her just solely for her writing. But on top of that, there's just so many layers to Carrie Fisher. Oh, well, and you know, we, no we one like her. I mourn her loss still. Yeah, No, that's, I mean, we talked a little bit about uh, Gary and I talked about it in the, the first episode. It's from the Curb Your Enthusiasm, this idea of middling at a dinner party where, where Larry David can do it, but his, his cousin, played by Richard uh, uh, Kind Kent, you know, where it's like the person who can carry the conversation. Like if things are slowing down, who's going to kickstart things? Who's going to come up with an interesting topic? Carrie, Carrie. Fisher. Carrie. You know, like Hall yeah. of Fame middle for sure. She's she's going to handle that <laughs> expertly. I, you know, I, 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 I think you've, I, I mean, I, I can't speak to the Luxembourgish prime minister's uh, conversational abilities. Probably good though, but, but I think both Jane Fonda. Fingers crossed. Got, I yeah. can't promise. It's middles all the way down, which is a good yeah. a good way to because I I took a different tack with mine, and uh, so so yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. 
I think that's that should be the new name of our podcast, Middles All the Way Down. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good choice. You know, Devorah, on a Venn diagram of traits, I think the thing, I mean, the thing that you really punctuated about your three guests are that they're, they're courageous people. I mean, they've at one point, you know, had to exhibit or had to summon courage which is, it's really interesting. And that's, I mean, obviously, hey, you know, they're movie stars, but if you want a movie star, like just pick Elizabeth Taylor. Like you had to have, I mean, the thing that you identified about these three was their courage in authenticity. And, you know, that's really interesting. I feel like I'm at a therapy session now because I feel like you're helping me understand. You are, things about you are, myself. yes. yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll be billing you afterwards. It's <laughs> extremely expensive. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're sponsored by Aetna. Call 1-800-ETNA today. Yeah. <laughs> I live in Europe. I have a, uh, I have a uh, healthcare covered here. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah. We don't know what that's like. So yeah. Yeah. well, sorry. Canadian sorry. here. Sorry, not to single you out, Gary, but Canadian here. So yeah. it's, it's just you, my friend, but nevertheless. So that's Very my cool. dinner party. I'm really looking forward to it. I'll have to build a time machine so that I can fulfill my wish to have the possibility of the dinner happening. So this came up last time. When you pick a dead guest, yeah, this is a, sort of an open question. I, it seems to me like you get to pick what age of that person. Oh. So is it Carrie Fisher circa 1977, 1989? Carrie Fisher at the end of her life? What, end of life, Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that makes the most sense, like within the rules of the game as well. But yeah, that, that, uh, that kind of works. I mean, you know, I think 19 year old Carrie Fisher playing princess leia in star wars would definitely be an interesting person was she that um, young in star wars i think she was oh wow she was so young yeah she was so young and she felt fat which is so crazy mm -hmm. um if you look back at that movie you know wow. mm -hmm. uh but she talks about that also you know her her body image she's um she's fabulous carrie fisher yeah. she had a great turn on 30 rock i remember she played like a like Liz Lemon's icon, like the, yes. the 70s original SNL comedy writer right. they bring in, but all of her jokes are about just about like Watergate still or whatever. She hasn't moved beyond <laughs> Halderman jokes. Uh, and you know where she's she's great is that, um, oh, what is it? It was- um, Catastrophe. Catat she was spectacular yeah. in that. Yeah, she was And that's a great show. It's a great show. That was her last role, I think. I think that's and, right. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe she CGI was even flying is... there for that uh, when she had oh, her. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure. Well, the CG. I mean, didn't they use CGI to bring her back for the last Star Wars? Oh right, right, yes. Oh yeah, That's yeah, right. yeah. And then um, she, she died just a few days before her mom, right? Yes. Yeah, that's really that's that's a fascinating sort of nuance too. Yeah. Huh. It's interesting that you chose two of your three guests are like actors whose parents were also. Uh, Carrie Fisher's parents were, I forget who, Eddie Fisher, maybe. And, and uh, who, was, yes. who was her mom? I can't remember, but. Uh... Debbie Reynolds. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, Singing I mean, the rain. you just yeah. need like Jamie Lee Curtis or Drew Barrymore to join and you've got a, a whole <laughs> second, third gen Hollywood thing going on. <sighs> but I, I guess my thought is, okay, so you've got two famous actors who come from successful families of actors and a prime minister these people have had some fancy dinners in their day. I mean, they've, I mean, not always, I'm sure. Like, you know, 
I'm sure, you know, Jane Fonda goes home and has a, has a frozen dinner like everybody else sometimes. But, but at the end of the day, they've, they've had like, you know, dinners with heads of state. What do you make? Yeah. Such a good question. I mean, for sure, gazpacho, Mm -hmm. because everyone enjoys gazpacho is what I've learned as a host. It's true. Uh, It's a universally loved first course. Uh, That is a good question. I don't know. Also, I, I have to, you know, embarrassingly, I haven't looked up if Jane Fonda a vegetarian. I'm not sure. I would have to look into that. That sounds right, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute. I think she wore, when her and Ted Turner had a place in Montana, I think she got in trouble for wearing like an all fur. It was like a snowsuit, but it was fur. It was really like Google oh. Jane Fonda's like fur snowsuit. <laughs> or maybe really? it was just, uh, yeah, I think that was something. I think that was a thing. See, but I, that told, was, I, I mean, told that you, was... I don't want to talk about the Ted Turner years. I just right, want right, to pretend right. they never happened. Yeah, I'm sorry, Devorah. That's yeah. okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry, that, now I have two things to apologize to Jane Fonda for. <laughs> and, but definitely, you know, there's going to be some good cheeses and wine. You know, also, if, the, if, if you keep the wine flowing, um, if you have a lot of snacks out, I'm not saying the food doesn't matter. Of course the food matters, but, you know, just keeps people happy. Harry Fisher's in recovery, isn't she? Oh, with the wine, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. No wine. You're right. But but, but does alcoholism oh, survive? Just, does yeah, alcoholism that... survive death? Gosh, Devorah. Does it... <laughs> These are things we have to look into. Yeah, that's your homework. I haven't. Yeah. I yeah, I haven't researched it enough. I thought I had, but does alcoholism survive death? Would have been a good thing for me to look into. It's it's a theological dilemma that I'm sure someone has. Uh, has sort of uh, has sort of taken on I don't know yeah you don't I mean we don't hear about ghosts going to meetings or anything so I'm, I'm not sure I think probably something Thai to answer your question yeah yeah no <laughs> I, I think it's you know any you're right because if once the conversation I mean even if alcohol no alcohol the conversation's going to be you know friendly and, and and flowing well and and I think you've got lots of you know, there's lots of options. People will find something like they like, you know. That's, that's people like to that be fed. Good. People like to yeah. be invited. People like to socialize. Um, yeah, we have good dinner parties. I'm not going to be modest about that. Yeah, no, I don't, mean, don't, happy. Devorah, don't be modest. Yeah, <laughs> no. And I mean, and then I mean, they're here, and they. I mean, you're going to say Ross and Gary gave me gave me a choice to invite any three people I wanted and I chose you three so they're just I mean they're going to bring their a game you know yeah. so I think and, and I think those three always bring their a game yeah as do, you, as do you as do you which is apparent this morning so <laughs> extremely wise choices yeah these are that's a good dinner party I feel like you've you. yeah yeah you've many of the the complications Gary and I introduced into our own parties you've solved by <laughs> By in, inviting interesting people who would be nice to talk to, uh, where where I you know somehow my mind didn't go there, uh, so that's that's great. That's that's yeah <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like, how do I get more money, Vincent Van Gogh yeah, yeah. or Picasso? Yeah, yeah. Can, and uh, is like, I just want to, I just, I just want to say thank you to it's, people. Yeah. It's, it's true. We've we've got our own we've got our own problems when it comes to yeah trying to create artifacts for 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 our, our own benefit or something and uh you're just having a nice dinner party which to be fair is basically the premise of the podcast so right so with you, gazpacho yeah you've 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 hit the assignments yeah. right on the head it's perfect that's very good Aww. i really did feel honored that you guys asked me to do this first episode thank you guys 
Oh, thanks so much. It's been a, a, a real pleasure. You guys can come to the other dinner party. You're invited. <laughs> okay, anytime. good, good. But who takes thanks the third spot? That's the real question. Yeah, we've got to... <laughs> We've got to find someone else. <laughs> the leader of the opposition in Luxembourg, perhaps. Let's let's bring them to the table and see what happens. Uh, yeah, I don't know much about that. No, I... I'll say one more thing about Xavier, which is Bridget <laughs> Macron has gone on record to say that that Gautier is her favorite like fellow spouse of world leaders. Unsurprisingly, yeah, I praise, I praise. Yeah. Maybe maybe we need. Gautier as well at the party. That that definitely that, that, that seems key. Well, thank you very much for for joining us, Devor, for being our first guest and for telling us all about your 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 dinner party guests. It's a, a fascinating trio. Sounds like a good meal. Sounds like a good time. Really. Thank you. I'm going to um, start. This has been a good time. So so <laughs> thanks so much. Thank uh, you so yeah. much, Devor. This was this was fun. Did you have uh, fun? Thank you guys. This was awesome. Yeah, fabulous. The official Dream Dinner Party podcast is hosted by Gary Elmeter and Ross Bullen. Maureen Harvey produces the podcast. Our theme music is Cruzero by Eaters. If you want to support the show, like, subscribe, leave us a review and share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.